Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. BSH Radio, my name is Bill Max. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Three game win streak, three in a row. It is officially a win streak. Um, awesome. Way to go. You beat some shit teams. Uh, we'll get into it. I won't be Mr. Pessimistic the entire show, although probably most of it. Uh, but let's just get right into it. Let's see how everyone's feeling about this roller coaster season uh, and what to do next. And let's lead it off with the fly by herself, Kelly Henkel. Now that the Flyers are back to definitely winning the cup again this year, um, I would just like to say that I was never, never in doubt. So just not so a single know, doubt. Not a single doubt. Never, not once. Never thought a bad thing about this team ever. Your preseason prediction is still alive. They are not yet <laughs> mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Um, it, we're going full St. Louis now. Here we go. <laughs> I guess it's possible. Anything's possible when you can dream, William. <laughs> I'm amazed you can still dream, Kelly. I can't really. That, that, that hasn't been sucked out of you yet. <laughs> no, it pretty much has. I'm just, I'm lying. For it, the now it's just a commitment to the bit. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Respect. Thank you. And from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Yeah, so I will say, you know, regardless of how, you know, generally speaking, miserable this season has been so far, I had a really, really good time at last night's game. Um you know, just in terms of it being a fun atmosphere for really the first time since March of 2020. Um, obviously, the, the Flyers won, which, like, I mean, I'm a journalist. I can write about a game, whether it's bad or good. But it's just more fun to beat a game, especially a home game when the home team's winning because the crowd's into it. People are excited. You're not dealing with, you know, people on social media yelling at you every time you put any little thought out there. It's just a more just generally enjoyable experience. Plus, like, one of the things I really loved about the games in the second half of 2020 was that the music at the arena was really good. Um, then during the, you know, during the season where no fans were in the stands for most of it, they didn't have a DJ. They were supposed to come back. Then before the season, they were like, no, sorry, we're not bringing you back. So they've just kind of been using, like, all the songs that are already uploaded into the thing. And this game, they just picked a bunch of songs that were already uploaded into the thing that were really good and that I enjoyed. And it just, it, it felt like, it really did feel like a March 2020 game to me, just in terms of the atmosphere and the team winning. And it just felt like, you know, just a little bit the way it was before the world turned to total shit. I mean, I guess the world was already total shit, but it just became abundantly clear how shitty it was when you couldn't actually do anything to take your mind off how shitty it was. Um, it was nice. It, it was a fun time. And uh, I will say that, it was much welcomed on my part that uh, went to a Flyers game, covered a Flyers game last night, and actually enjoyed myself. It was, it was a good change of pace. There were a couple of games at the beginning of the season. That were, were they? Fun. Were they? I think Maybe so. the Seattle game? Maybe? I I got so inspired by one of them that I wrote a thing on the Broad Street line on the way home. <laughs> no, I like, will that's say... That's fucking weird. I will say... Um, it was those games where they were scoring like seven. Like people were Seattle fun. game, they won six one. That was probably the yeah, closest. But even fun. then, I don't know. It just didn't feel. It felt like there was still too much. Like I don't know, residual from the year before. Who knows? This game just felt. It felt good. It was, it was a fun I, game. To cover I'm glad. Into. I enjoyed myself. I will say, like regardless of how you feel about the team's current state, like I said on, uh, I said on post game last night. I am happy for the people who were in attendance because you actually got to have a good time. They scored a bunch of goals. Like, you saw a hat trick. You saw some great Carter Hart saves. Claude Giroux played well. You got to see Oscar Lindblom score. Like, a bunch of cool shit happens. Travis Sanheim remembered where the net was. Fuck, man. It's been like a year and a half. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that was cool. Um I, I am happy for those people, but I want to get right into it because the first thing on the outline, 
How sold are we by this three-game winning streak? My answer is 0%. Zero. Do, like, do, okay. Do I still think they are a bottom five team? I guess not. So, by that measure, I suppose I am sold. Uh, do I think they're anything but sneak into the playoffs, losing six? No. I've seen nothing that makes me think that. They beat Vegas. Okay, cool. You finally won a game after losing 10 in a row. And then you beat two shit teams. What am I supposed to take from that? Ottawa won last night. Nobody loses 15 in a row. Okay. Here. I I don't remember because I have a leaky brain. (laughs) But at the start of this season, were you... Like, was this your general feeling? I don't believe it was. Like, I, I just feel like if... At the start of this season, we looked at this team as constructed and thought, this is going to be a good hockey team. We, I don't think it's unreasonable to think, again, maybe now that things are changing, this could be a good hockey team. Carter Hart absolutely raises the potential ceiling because a goalie does that. If your goalie is this good, you have a chance to do pretty much anything in this league. But when you say this team is currently constructed, you mean the team with Max Willman on it? Patrick Brown? Like, because the team no. is currently constructed. I don't know if we're ever going to see the team that we thought we were going to see. I don't know if that exists. Ryan Ellis might play again this year, but until I see him, I'm not going to believe that shit. He's played three games. Yeah, like, like no, he's, Kevin he's played Hayes, more than that. He played four, right? Five, four, five. Five, four, five, like, something like that. Kevin Hayes might get back to full strength this year. But until he does, I'm not counting on it. Like, Joel Farabee might come back and look like last season's Joel Farabee. But I'm not counting. Like, I'm, I've am i seen enough of last year's team and this team not to believe in them fully because... That's fair. That's just who they are. To, it's not just this 10-game losing streak. If I could just write I, off this 10-game losing streak, go, they played like shit, coach got fired, everything's going to be okay, I'd believe it. But since, like, I lived through last season and... I look at this lineup and go, when are we ever going to see some of these players healthy? I, you know, I just, I don't, I don't have the confidence in them to get back to, oh yeah, I I think they should be an Eastern Conference final team. Like, I don't think they'll have me that confident again this year. I think the uh, the, the real, like, the, the, the strongest argument for optimism is basically, and this is what, if you're an optimistic fan, this is what you have to pin your hopes on is basically that it was just a coach. Like, that's really what it boils down to because, you know, the the fact that there was a coaching change, and not just the head coach, but also Michelle Tarion, um, it does provide a potential pivot point. You know, there's something that you can sort of, like, you know, stick a flag in the sand and be like, this is when stuff changed. And in fairness, right now, it does look like things are getting better. Now... I'm very much in the wait-and-see mentality because the Vegas game, I mean, Vegas was a better team. Carter Hart won that game for the Flyers. The Arizona game, the Flyers were better, but Arizona sucks. And the Devils game, the Flyers were actually good. They actually played. They played that game the way you would expect a good Flyers team to play. So, okay, so now they've proven we could beat bad teams. That's great. It's, It's nice to know the Flyers are not a truly awful team. That's cool. And that's if they win the next two games, I mean, they could be on a five-game winning streak because Montreal is a dumpster fire. And Ottawa, while, like, people were freaking out because they beat Tampa, like, no, they're still bad. Like, they're bad. They're, I think, like, 28th in all situations expected goals. Like, they're not good. Um, The Flyers, I think, are 29th. So if the Flyers are not, like, that bad, if they were underperforming, like, Ottawa is performing as they are because if you look at their lineup, it's – absolutely terrible uh which ottawa fans should have realized but instead they convinced themselves that like a good final three weeks of last season was enough to make them a dark horse playoff team still don't understand that one but anyway um if you win those games you've won five straight games that's cool but they're against four bad teams and then one game where your goalie stole it to me you're gonna find out and i mean obviously if they go out and they lose these next two games then we're right back to where we started and we know that the flyers probably you know at the very least aren't even close to figuring this out whether they do later down the road is another story but you know to me you we're not going to really see where they are and how much of an impact this coaching change actually had on their ability to play competitive hockey against 
challenging teams until next week when they get Washington and Pittsburgh. That's when you'll find out. And I mean, like, those are the games where, you know, if they hit the Washington game on a five-game winning streak, they obviously would have confidence. If they could go out there and win that game and look like the better team, then you start thinking, okay, you know, maybe it was just that these guys tuned out Elaine Vigneault, and actually this is a pretty good team, and then, hey, if this is actually a pretty good team, and then you get back Ryan Ellis, and you get back Broussard, and you get back Wade Allison, and Kevin Hayes gets healthier, then maybe we're cooking here. But until they start doing this against better competition, I can't take this winning streak seriously beyond, well, they're not awful anymore. And that's cool. I prefer not to watch an awful hockey team, but I can't say anything confidently beyond that. So I guess the the difference for me is that I don't consider anything that I think about the Flyers' future performance to be like a definite. I'm just guessing at all of this. But I, what I'm saying is that I don't think it's silly to look at the last three games and then take with that also some of the earlier season when they looked better than they did over the last stretch and say, all right, well, you know, they could turn it around. It's not it's not like a silly, you're an idiot, you don't know how to watch the game thought to think that, like you said, perhaps it was the coach and perhaps this team could start to look better. I don't know if it's going to do anything for them. They dug, them, they dug themselves quite a deep hole. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm not saying, like, yes, definitely, this team is better now and they're going to win all the games. I'm just saying I look at these three games and I think it's reasonable to be a little bit hopeful that they could turn this thing around. That's all I'm saying. I think the one argument you could make, um, which is kind of a roundabout sort of funny argument, but, like, they dug themselves such a deep hole. Like I, you know, I think Hockey Viz has them at like five percent chance of making the playoffs. Mon- it's Money, Money Puck has them at like eight percent. They've dug mm-hmm. themselves such a deep hole that if they were to actually get themselves back into a position where they were likely to make the playoffs, they probably played so damn well that we're going to have to start believing in them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to take like a seven hundred points percentage to get back into this. Like. It, it, the, Remember when we talked in the beginning of the season about how good this division is and they couldn't afford this sort of stretch? Well, they but did. That's turned out not they to can. be true. That's like turned out not to be true though. Like this this I division isn't pretty, as I mean, I mean, I mean the Islanders didn't work out, but tough. it's not the Pacific, but it's like I don't think it's as like tightly contested as we thought it was going to be. It's still going to be pretty tough. It's going to be real tough to break into that top three. And it's going to be pretty tough to break into that top four, too, to be honest with you. The only thing that's really changed is that the Islanders look like this is just like a year they set on fire because of awful luck. But, like, the Caps, the Canes, the Rangers, and Pittsburgh all all look good, and they're all way ahead of the Flyers at this point. So you got to catch them, and you got to pass at least one, probably two. It's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a challenge, and I mean that's the thing though. If they could do it, they would have to win so many games that it would be hard not to be like, hey, maybe they figured this out, and maybe it was just the coach that was dragging them down, and maybe it was just the injuries. But I just remain skeptical that they actually can because again, they've dug themselves a very deep hole. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, like it's just hard for me to look at this right now, and I will not reevaluate them. Until at earliest, those Washington and Pittsburgh games. Like, it's hard for me to evaluate them as anything right now. Then this is a dead cat bounce. Like, uh, I'm looking right now between November 21st and uh, December 3rd, Seattle, like maybe the least talented team in the league, beat the Caps, Canes, Panthers, Sabres, and Oilers. They lost to Tampa in there. Um,. Like, everyone wins sometimes. Yeah, you're absolutely like, right. Like, that's, that's all it is. Everyone wins sometimes, and this was their sometimes. I'll tell you what's going to be funny is when they're on a five-game winning streak heading into the Washington game. Uh, if you're paying attention to what's going on in the league right now, Evgeny Kuznetsov is in COVID protocol for the third time. Um, <laughs> something might happen to Washington between now and then. 
And then we're looking at a team that's like heading into Christmas on a six or seven game winning streak, which would just be absolutely fucking hilarious and so flyers. Incredibly flyers if they follow up a 10 game losing streak with a 10 game winning streak. After 20 games, they're at zero. It'd be truly incredible. They played 20 games and the result is they're exactly where they were before the 20 (laughs) games. That would be the funniest shit in the world to me. What would it like? When would you? like start to be like okay maybe they're gonna turn this around like what would it take it doesn't even need to be victories although this team badly needs victories uh if they just like look competent against washington and pittsburgh i'll start thinking okay they're a little more and then after the break you know that's always kind of a little trouble spot for them uh right Mm -hmm. after christmas we'll see how they do on that trip and then you know they're gonna need almost the exact same run January to March that they went on in 2020 to, like, make this a thing. hmm Yeah. Like, yeah, these other teams aren't going to stop winning. Yeah. Like, and, Carolina, Washington, like, these teams are going to continue to be good. No, I mean, this is really going to—I I really think in a lot of ways this next, you know, three weeks, four weeks-ish, it's, it probably will decide their season— because you know, obviously these next two games, you know, if you're if you're serious about this team turning around, they have to. I would say they have to do at least a like win one, lose one in overtime. Like that's like the bare minimum. You, you gotta you gotta come out with three points out of your next four against Montreal and Ottawa because they're Montreal and Ottawa. And if you're trying to reestablish yourself as like a team that's worth even remotely paying attention to, like that's the bare minimum. That's what you gotta do. If you can if you can hang on against. Pittsburgh and Washington like I know they always do bad on the Disney on ice trip but like this is not a threatening looking trip on paper Seattle stinks they already blew them out once the Kings are rebuilding the Kings Sharks are a little are better than you think basically rebuilding except they don't want to call it a rebuild because they want to keep their older guys uh, or maybe they just can't trade them and then the only really tough game is Anaheim and like look I like their young players but I think they're probably playing over their heads but that's like your only tough game of that trip on paper really I mean, the Kings you, it, it, are better than you think. If you start, who is the Kings? Yeah, yeah. John Quick looks like John Quick, baby. Uh, oh I mean, God! I don't know if that's like a good thing. I mean, John. Is it 2003? Well, like, how are we talking about Jonathan Quick right now, dude? I'm telling you, I thought the same thing headed into this year, but he's like <laughs> beating out Cal Peterson, and he like he's pretty good. Whomst is Cal Peterson? They're like, I don't pay attention meh. to the Western Conference at They're all. They're meh. And, I mean, if, look, if, if John Quick is back to what John Quick used to be, great. He's a goal. You'll have, like, two great games and one awful game, and everybody will go crazy because he makes a couple amazing saves that get on highlight reels. Like, I don't care about Jonathan Quick. He's a whatever goalie who just happened to backstop one of the best defensive teams over the last 25 years post-lockout. So, whatever. The Kings are whatever. You, you, you play them, you beat them. That, that's what you do if you are a team that has designs on making the kind of comeback that the Flyers have to make now to actually try to make noise in the Eastern Conference. Is it a little funny to you that suddenly the Calgary Flames are getting the best goaltending in the league, not only out of their starter, but their backup as well? It's like, hmm, maybe the coach might have something to do with Possibly. that. Possibly. Just uh, Maybe. Different subject altogether. Um, what's different about the Flyers? Like, why are they, we'll say it, visually better? Uh, they, they are, are better. like, They were yes. definitely visually better against the Devils. Well, I mean, like, low bar, like, a dog shitting on the fuck, like, that, it's not even a metaphor. It happened. Dog shit at center ice was more visually appealing than, like, half of their games leading up to this. But now, they do look better what has changed since Mike Yo has taken over? Are they just are they just trying harder? You know, like I, I hate to present it like that, but I do think that there's an element of you know they were just done with that coach, and yeah, you have if when that shoe drops, you're probably going to play a little looser. You're probably going to play with more energy. You're just like you no longer have that feeling of what's the point because we're never going to do it with this coach anyway. Like, there's just a less of a sense of fatalism, I think, you know, when the, the coach who is kind of like the dead man walking is gone. Um, so I think that's part of it. But, like, they've actually they've made some, some structural changes, and they haven't really been able to make as many as I think they would want to just because, I mean, they Yo got dumped. twice. Yeah, like, Yo got dumped today. into the middle of a 5-7, and seven, and they practice on, on Tuesday. They practice today, or what's today's Tuesday. 
What is today? Today's Wednesday. Today's Wednesday. They practice today. They practice Monday. Right. Yes. Days aren't real. Um, anyway, so they really haven't had that many practices, but there, there's a couple changes. I mean, I definitely think there's more of a um, – we talked a lot on the show, I think, about the, the propensity of the Flyers to play dump and chase. Um, they're dump, doing, not they're so doing much less chase. of that. Um, yeah, but they're doing less of that, and I think a lot of that really just boiled down to Vino's view of risk-reward. I don't think and, – and Yo actually straight up said this to me, you know, after a practice, he, like, a couple days ago, and he basically was like, look, like, I don't want to give up the impression that, like, Elaine Vino was telling these guys to dump it in all the time. Like, he wasn't. He wanted them to make plays. But I do think there was an element of, you know, Vino made it abundantly clear that when in doubt, dump the puck in, because if you don't and you turn the puck over at the blue line, I'm going to be pissed at you. Whereas I get the sense Yo is giving them a bit more flexibility to make change. Like, there was a play... I, I put it in my notes. I ended up not clipping it because I, I didn't need to. There was a play like in like the 12-minute mark of the first period against the Devils where the Flyers had three guys that enter in the zone around the same spot. I think it was like a, I think it was the Couturier line. And Couturier, like, it was either Couturier or Lawton, like, tried to do a drop pass to the guy trailing him. The guy got the pass, then flubbed it, and then the Devils went back the other way. And they got they I think they had a missed shot, but it was like a shot attempt. It was mildly dangerous. And I watched that play, and I was like, "That's the kind of play where under Vino they would have 100 percent dumped it in. They wouldn't have even tried to make a play. They would have been like, "This is you know this isn't a certainty that we're gonna get we're gonna gain gain control you know gain uh, gain the the blue line with control of the puck. So we're just gonna dump it in and play for the next shift. And I get the sense under Yo he's giving them a bit more flexibility to try those plays because he's not gonna utterly crush them if they try them and they fail and lead to transition rushes. So that's one change. The second change is that I just get the sense that they're not blasting the zone as much. They're not focusing as much on stretch passes, and they're focused a lot more in the defensive zone on breakouts, on um, you know, kind of giving the defensemen shorter passes. You know, the forwards aren't aren't the, the gaps between the defensemen and the forwards on the breakouts aren't as large. So because of that, they're a, the defensemen are able to make passes rather than just flipping it out to the neutral zone or trying to do a crazy stretch pass. And, like, you know, the only guy on this defense who probably could regularly pull that off is Ryan Ellis, and he's been hurt. And Provorov, when he's playing with confidence, which he hasn't been. Uh-huh. Um, so that's an improvement, and I think it really showed in the Devils game because that was where the passing began. Because if you think back to that game, the Devils game they played last week, the Wednesday game in Newark, that was the worst I've seen the Flyers pass maybe ever. Like, they couldn't complete any passes at all. They just couldn't do it. They were incapable of it. And then this game, like, within five minutes, man, they made more passes in the first five minutes than they made in 50 minutes in the game last week against the same team. And I think a lot of it was that forwards were providing more support to the defenseman. They were playing more like a five-man unit. And I have to believe that's something that Yo has been stressing, and he's probably made some tactical tweaks to what they're doing on breakouts to make it clear to the players, like, don't blast the zone, support your defenseman, and I think it's helping. The... Just the the breakouts while we're talking about that. First, back to Vigneault for a second. I don't want to live on Vigneault forever. Uh, but while he's fresh in our minds, how the fuck did he win as many games as he did? Like, if apparently the strategy is to not let hockey players make hockey plays, like, how has he lasted more than a year anywhere? Uh, I guess the Sedins just had a bunch of rope because they're the Sedins. But beyond them, like, who is he coached? He had a Hall of Fame goaltenders. I don't think that's... Every time. I don't think that's the reason. I mean, we saw in 2019-2020 that if everyone is executing what he wants them to execute, that the Vino system can work. We saw it. They were very, very good. That seems impossible. But... It's a difficult system. I, th- I think this is really what it boils down to. It's a difficult system to make work. Like, you need full buy-in from the players. You need a defense that can, that can basically all pass. And you need a really relentless <laughs> approach to hockey that involves very strong conditioning on the part of everyone. And you need, you need no one on the team thinking that the system is dumb. And if you lose any of those things, it kind of starts to fall apart. And... I think, you know, the reason why it's been successful in the past is because in the past there have been teams where Vino has had where they've been able to pull it off for extended periods of time. And probably in Vancouver it worked the best because they immediately got off the got off the jump succeeding. 
and you're like, okay, well, we know this works, so it's easy for us to buy in, and we're going to go to the Stanley Cup final. Whereas here, they really only had the, the, the two-and-a-half-month period, then everything got paused, they couldn't get it back, and then I think the knives started coming out, especially last season. And then once that happens, I mean, if you have an easy system, maybe you can kind of reconvince players that it works, but Vino's system is, it's a difficult one to pull off. And I think once the, once the players lost confidence in it, it was over. And that's what we saw this year. They lost confidence in it. And once you lose confidence in a very intricate system that doesn't have a lot of margin for error, like when shit goes bad, it doesn't just go bad, it goes real bad. And that's what happened in my mind. How confident are we that how do I want to put like I don't want to sound yeah how confident are we that they're not going to just give up on Mike Yo the first time they lose three in a row it's a really really good question well they like him right they do for now for now oh oh oh, you're talking about the players no yeah yeah yeah. I don't think the players will my I thought actually that question was will management give up on him after oh yeah that I think is a possibility oh definitely that's fine with me no I I don't think the players will um. I don't think the players will will turn on Yo at least not this season unless like they lose another ten straight and then it's just like well get you know get it get a real coach in here who's not an interim because like now we're just counting down the days until you hire you spend four million dollars on John Tortorella, um, so, but but no I, I don't think that um, I don't think the players will turn on Yo the way they uh, they tuned out Vino because I do think they like Yo. The one thing that's interesting to me about Mike Yo, and this is something that I've been thinking a lot about over the last week week and a half is that i think that i'm kind of coming around on the idea of mike yo staying coach the rest of the year even though i'm not remotely sold that he is the coaching answer and here's the reason why Right now, the, the way I look at the Flyers right now is that they're kind of they're kind of at a crossroads, and we're going to find out the rest of this year what path they should take. If they should take the let's keep throwing money at this thing because you know it was just that they gave up on Vino. This is actually a good team that you know maybe they're not a cup contender now, but with a couple tweaks they could potentially get there. That's that's option one. I, I laid this out in an article I did last week. Option two is that no, they're just not good enough. We need to blow the whole thing up. Well. If option two is the if option two is the is the option, if that's actually what's going on here. If that's the case, then I don't know how you justify Chuck Fletcher staying general manager into the rebuild. And I'm not saying that to shit on Chuck Fletcher. It's just like that's not what he was hired to do. He wasn't hired to rebuild. If you're gonna do a rebuild, you probably want to give the rebuild to a new GM. And here's the thing if that's a possibility. Do you really want Chuck Fletcher hiring another coach? Because if he then gets canned at the end of the year because you got to hire somebody else to do the rebuild, then what was the point of having him hire a new coach in the first place? Because then the new GM might want to hire their new coach. And then you're just spinning around in circles for another two years. So I'm almost at the point where, like, I almost wonder if it makes more sense to just stick with Yo and see what happens because at least then you don't lock yourself into signing you know, a big money coach to a four-year deal just to find out three months down the line that actually they're going to have to blow things up. Like, like if you want to turn this thing around, if you're, if, if you're convinced that, like, well, they just need a good coach to turn this thing around, like, go hire Claude Julien. He's a great coach. But, like, if he can't do it and they have to rebuild, like, what's the point of paying Claude Julien four or five million dollars a year to coach a rebuilding team? It doesn't make any sense. So it's almost like you're you're kind of in the position where I don't know if it even makes sense to hire a big money coach until you know what direction you're going to take. And if you've hired the big money coach, then you've kind of hitched your ride to Fletcher and the idea of this is still a good team and we can still keep doing this. And I'm not ready to say that that's the right path. It's kind of interesting, too, because if they do turn it around – and they start looking like a good hockey team again. And so they do decide, we're going to stick with this group. We're not going to blow it up. This is the group. But also now you have a team that's been turned around and coached into greatness by Mike Yo. So, like, are you going to fire him and piss off the team yeah, that clearly likes You know what I mean? A it's, like a, it's a very fair It's point. like a problem. There's a flip like, side if they're, that, yeah. Yeah, if they're looking good 
and it's because of Mike Yo's coaching. I'm like you, like I, I don't like I have like no strong feelings about Mike Yo, but I definitely like if I was going to pick a coach, he would not be the guy. But if he does turn the team around, you know, maybe he's a good coach for this particular group of players. I guess we'll see. I mean, that's uh, yeah. The, it that's doesn't really, seem like all of this is we're going to see. Yeah, it doesn't seem they're in any itch and hurry to hire a new coach. It, no, I if, don't get no. that sense. So I guess we'll see what happens. But again, like they lose five straight games, then who knows? I thought just personally, like if I was one of these coaches who's going to pick his next destination, I'm not taking a job until after the holidays. Like you ain't ruining my holiday by coaching uh, no, this shit yeah. hockey team. Like no, I'm gonna have my I mean, fun and then maybe, I'll come in. But no, also, I, I mean, I, Vancouver hired Bruce Boudreau, so yeah, like clearly coaches are willing to do it. Some of them I at understand. Least. Um, is there any indication, Charles? I don't know if you can answer this question. Is there any indication that Chuck like tried for Boudreau and Boudreau was like, "No thanks, I would like to go someplace else." I am under the impression that Boudreau's name was definitely thrown out there. Mm-hmm. And I believe, I, I can't confirm this, but my guess is that at the very least, the Flyers communicated in some sort of way, whether it was to Boudreaux directly or to Boudreaux's people that like, hey, you know, yeah. there might be a coaching change on the horizon. If you're interested in coming to Philly, like, don't like, don't rule that out. Which, I mean, that's good because I feel like that's, you know, the, the bare minimum. I can absolutely 100% confirm that Boudreaux's name was thrown around in the Flyers organization. He was yeah. tossed around as a potential option. I can 100% confirm that. I don't know if they actually talked to him, but it's hard for me to imagine they didn't at least put feelers out. Makes sense. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break. I think this is a good spot to do it. And then I have two questions for you guys. It's basically a two-part question on the other side that I think uh, we're going to be able to discuss here. So just hang on through this break, and then we'll be back on the other side. All right, fam, we are back, and as promised, I have a, a two-part question about the direction of this organization for both Charlie and Kelly. Uh, first, you know, we talked about the path that this team, this this team is going to figure out what path it needs to take over the next, you know, over the rest of this season, and then that'll really inform what sort of off-season mo- moves they need to make. First part of this question if it is, okay, we just need a couple of key pieces. You know, we turn this thing around right now. Uh, we turn this thing around, and we just need a little bit more talent. There's just a few pieces missing. How do they go about affording those pieces without also losing the amount of talent that they currently have? And by this I mean... How do they bring in a Johnny Hockey and still afford Claude Giroux? No, it's a completely reasonable question. And I'll be totally honest with you. My focus has not been on the Flyers cap situation over the last month. So I can't give you like a full-on analysis of how they would do it. But yeah, I mean, I would imagine they'd have to move you know, some pieces out. Obviously, Couturier gets a big raise next year. So that's going to cut into their cap space. Um, they have to make a decision on Ristolainen. I guess that's one way. I mean, you get his cap hit off the books if you just decide we're not going to bring him back. But they traded a first-round pick and a second-round pick for him, so I imagine there's at least some interest in bringing him back, and he hasn't been bad. So no. like, yeah. now he's kind of like a feather in their cap because they took a chance on this guy. And while I don't think Ristolainen has been amazing, I think he's been decent. And, you know, decent is a lot better than, like, myself and a lot of stattery other people thought he was going to be. So it's pretty easy for the Flyers to be like, see, we were right. Now we're going to take our victory lap by bringing this guy back, especially because a lot of fans like him too. Um, but then, I mean, and also just back, real then, quick, if you bring him back, then, then that's more money that's being spent. Yeah. So yeah, brings me back to our initial problem. And also like, if they get rid of Ristolainen, and you know, if they don't bring him back, uh, they have three defensemen then. And two of them have not lived up to expectations and the other one has played five games. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. they it's have no defensemen. They're going to need to address that too. Just yeah, they'll like, need to get somebody. I, um, no, I, I mean, the obvious... I mentioned the Giroux obvious. and Goudreau because those are, the, those are like the names and they're the pending free agents. But it's really just like, if they only need a couple of pieces, but it's clearly like, you know, we need some key pieces, are they just, are they ever going to be able to put themselves in position to be able to afford those pieces? I mean, the obvious thing is that you you try to find a taker for JVR. Yeah. Like, that's the obvious move because Taker's he... Taker's going to be buyout. 
I mean, I don't know if they can do that. But I, I feel like that is the move that logically is the really the only one that Chuck could make that could like feasibly start the process of acquiring some small, you know, surgical improvement pieces that the team needs to move forward if they're going to stick with this group. That's really, I, I don't see any other way. Yeah, I mean, I think, one thing I will say is that, and again, like, this is going to sound like me being negative on Ristolainen, and I'm not even that negative on him. I think he's been fine. I can t- I keep coming around on the idea that, like, look, even if they get back Ryan Ellis, and even if Ryan Ellis is everything we, we want him to be, and, you know, he doesn't have any ill effects from the injuries, and he's fine the rest of his, his time here, and this was just, like, bad luck to start his Flyers career, I'm coming around the idea that I think the Flyers need one more legitimately very good defenseman. Oh, I believe they absolutely need a top-pair defenseman to put with Ellis and Provorov and Sanheim are second-pairing defensemen. See, I, and that would see, be see I, I disagree with that, but I think that what they need is I think they need one guy to put with Provorov and one guy to put with Sanheim, and both those guys need to be top-pair quality defensemen. Because I think what we're seeing with what we're seeing with the absence of Ellis for, you know, really what should hammer at home is that, like, Ivan Provorov cannot— jump into that number one job and if you don't have ryan ellis then the whole house of cards falls apart because i you keep i keep hearing people on social media being like well you know it just the, the pieces don't fit together when ellis isn't here he's like the indispensable piece it's like he shouldn't be an indispensable piece ryan ellis is a good player i really like ryan ellis ryan ellis should not be like like look the freaking washington capitals have spent the entire season without their number one center nicholas backstrom and they're fine yeah, they're there should fine. be no one player like should, that... And, and if it, yeah. and if the Flyers if lost one, Pronger 11 games into the season and fucking put up 100 points. Yeah. Like, if, if that's... <laughs> With Briz! If one guy at a position ruins the rest of that position, then that tells me that they're deficient at that position. Because, like, the whole house of cards should not fall apart because one guy got hurt. Like... Even the Penguins do okay when Crosby's out. They didn't and have Malkin. Crosby and Malkin most Crosby of the season. And, Malkin. and they yeah. are considerably ahead of us in the standings. <laughs> like when when Ryan Ellis is out, what the Flyers are left with left with is this. They're left with Ivan Provorov, who can't be a top pair defenseman when he doesn't have a top pair defenseman next to him. They're left with Travis Sanheim, who is a good number three, but also you don't want on the top pair because he makes too many mistakes in the defensive zone. And then you have Rasmus Ristolainen, who's shown his entire career he's not a top pair defenseman. And maybe he's fine fine as a four he's been fine as a four so far but you put him on the top pair and we, we get Ristolainen and buffalo again so you need another guy like like you look at tampa and i know tampa is tampa but like when victor hedman's out they're okay because they can move up mikhail sergachev or ryan mcdonough like that's that's how you that's how you build a defense you build a defense by having multiple good players and i don't know if like if ryan ellis is that indispensable the defense is good enough it's just not do we think that York or Zamola would improve things? Like, there's no way enough they're to worse. move the needle. I mean, there's no way they're worse than Keith Yandel. Yeah, like they would improve it over Yandel, at least like what I think that York and Zamola are going to be. But I don't think either of them are the level of guy that I think the Flyers need to bring yeah. into it to yeah. fix the defense. I didn't think so either. Uh, and off of this, now they need a lot. They need these key pieces. We think the other path is bottoming it out. And on the outline, someone wrote, is it is it better for the team to just be bad? Much like, uh, you know, keeping Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek all those years stopped us from ever really bottoming out, it appears Carter Hart is that dude. If you have the franchise netminder, can you ever be worse than mediocre? It's a really good question, and it's something so here's, I brought up. Yeah, like it, it's that's it's where tough. I got it from you, Charlie. Hey yo, yeah, it's tough. It's tough because yeah, like with the outsized the outsized impact of the goalie in the NHL, it's it's kind of one of those conundrums because like I kind of came I came to this conclusion. And it's been percolating for a while, but I really cemented when there was a thing on Flyers Twitter a couple of days ago where people were like, "Who are your untouchables?" Mm-hmm. And everyone included Hart, and it's like, okay, I get it. included. He's very good. Like he's Who else was one. on the list? Yeah. But, like, <laughs> I get it. But if Hart is good enough 
to be an unquestioned untouchable, then he's also good enough to make it so regardless of whether you try to bottom out, if you keep Carter Hart, you're probably not going to be, you know, first overall, second overall without some lottery luck. And if he's not good enough, actually, to be that kind of untouchable, then maybe you should sell high on him and sell him to someone who does think he's good enough. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a a tough thing because, like, but these are the... These are the kind of these are the kind of implications I want people to wrestle with because it's very very easy and this is always my problem with the blow it up people 2 3 years ago. It's very very easy to say blow it up but keep all the players I like. Yes, I was just going to say that. Like if you if you really want to blow it up, you got to commit. And you got to ask some tough questions about who actually needs to be moved because like look, no one's going to have a problem if, like, you say, well, we're blowing it up and we got to trade Travis Connected. Like, it would suck. He's a fun player. But, like, like that's <laughs> not – that doesn't tear your heart out the way it would if you're, like, if we really got to go score Scherth, Carter Hart's got to go because he's so good that we're never going to go score Scherth if he's here. That's the kind of questions that you got to wrestle with because if you want to go full scorch Earth rebuild, you got to fully commit to this shit. Yeah, and I don't think that fans – who think that we should go full rebuild. Like you said, they, in their mind, they're like, okay, we get rid of Drew. We get rid of JVR. We move on from Konechny, whatever. But get they rid of all the players that I am personally All the players of. that they don't like, <laughs> that they think have been here for too long, but we're going to keep all the players that I like that are good, but somehow be bad enough to draft uh, in the lottery every year for two or three years in order to somehow build the team back up. It's just not logical. You would absolutely 100% if you were rebuilding this team, like really rebuilding, you have to trade Carter Hart. There's no question. You or, have to. Or you keep him and you or, hope to God you get lucky and, in the lottery. Well, that and the, and then you hope, I in my mind, you trade Carter Hart and you hope that one of Urson or, um, what's his face? The other guy. Sandstrom. That's good. Yeah. Like you hope that one of them turns out to be, you know, also a good goaltender. Or he comes You can't down. have a guy you can't have a guy putting up 920 no. while you're trying to rebuild. No, and you that's can't. here's the only to me feasible way cuz I didn't go through all this not to have the goaltender, uh the thing that's plagued us for so yeah. long. That's the killer. He comes down with a phantom injury. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Oh, he fucking, uh, he, he's got a sports hernia. He's got to sit for a whole year. Like, oh, he tore his ACL. Weird. Know, he's got real bad injury. There's no way a player seasons. would go for that. That's the thing. But I, I, I see where your thought, I see where your head's at, Bill. I okay, do. so like, even if they did that, like, even if everybody went along with that and they did a fake Kucherov and they sat yeah, him for Kucherov goes year. along with it. Here's the thing. Is one year of bottoming out enough to rebuild the franchise? If I mean, you think it, of, if it, you it think could. it's as bad as it is, I don't year think it two. is. It could be. It could be because you know if you get if you're really bad the one year and you get that guy, you get like Connor Bedard or you get Mitch Koff or whatever, you get that guy, that like top of the lineup stud. Like you can you can keep my thing with with, with the Carter Hart thing is like you can keep Carter Hart. You can blow it up mostly and keep Carter Hart and still be a top ten pick team. You could. I mean you could you could be in like the, you know, five to ten range. And sometimes you get great players in that range. I mean shit, like you do. You probably don't get the like slam dunk superstars, but you get top of the lineup guys. So you get one of those top of the lineup guys in that one year that Carter Hart is either bad or hurt. And then you get a couple more, like you get like a Trevor Zegras, you get like, you know, more cider, you know, like in that like four to nine range. And then maybe you're cooking with gas. Year two, he's, he's working his way back. He can't start more. He cannot oh possibly start more than 50% of the games. He's working his way back. So we get some bum goalie to purposefully lose the 50% of games that Hart doesn't start. Boom! Two years in a row, you tanked without losing Carter Hart. It would be nice, Charlie, if we had that like European soccer loan system. That would that would really yeah. work out for us. Yeah, yeah like send, w- send him to Colorado for two years while yeah. we're tanking. I'm not, it would have been nice goes, if the... He goes and gets that playoff experience for Colorado behind that shit blue line. Then while we're building up here, and suddenly he's good to go. Would have I been think nice we figured if the it out. Drafted four to nine instead of two that one time. 
Hmm. It would, wouldn't it have been? Well, four to uh, three to five. Three to five. Three to five. There yeah, were there bucks. were quite a few busts in that like I think six to nine range of that year. Were there? I think. Yeah. Well, didn't nice. uh, wasn't that the year that the Rangers took Leas Anderson? And I don't know what the hell he's doing now. Oh yeah. And then like and then Vegas took Cody Glass and he doesn't look like he's anything special. So like it was basically that three to five range the Flyers would have had to be in. We had a little two left. I only wanted take, four. Uh, yeah, take, take you I only wanted new Bobby Orr. That was it. <laughs> Just uh, new Bobby Orr. That's all. I'm, that's I'm a all. modest person here. <laughs> I didn't I, write I, the I have modest out. expectations oh. for what I get in the draft. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and all this stuff, the, the, the Carter Hart thought experiment for me is less like I'm saying the Flyers should trade Carter Hart. I'm just saying that, like, all I ask for, and I said this, like, for years, all I ask for is that if you decide you want something, you have to really think through the logical conclusions of what that means. Never going to happen, Charles. And (laughs) if you want the Flyers to blow it up, you have to think about the the idea that can you really truly bottom out with a goalie that's as good as they think Carter Hart is. If, if Carter Hart just isn't that good, if he's fine, then you could do it. Like, if Carter Hart is just, like, a good goalie, he's, like, a 915 to 920 goalie. If that's what he is, you could probably do it. Like, you could probably make it work because, like, having a shitty defense will probably deflate his numbers. And he'll be better than, like, the 909 save percentage that he gets. And we'll all know that because we watch him every game. But, like, they'll still be giving up a bunch of goals because the defense is trash and they'll be the— fifth worst team in the league for two years and then they'll get good prospects like that could work but if Carter Hart is a flat-out stud it's gonna be hard because I mean there's some really really bad teams that make the playoffs solely because their goalie is a flat-out stud like imagine if they bottom out and they still sneak into the playoffs because Carter Hart wins the Vesna that would be funny that's very flyers that would like to finally have the goalie and it's on a team (laughs) with like less talent than Seattle like, that would be the most Flyers fucking... Oh, my God. Uh, speaking of the worst luck imaginable, can we get into Morgan Frost? And the re- I asked those two questions, not to be, like, again, pessimistic or fatalistic, but, like, God damn, we are kind of stuck in, like, we're kind of stuck in the position we're in. <laughs> and it might make more sense. I want to blow it up, too. It might make more sense not to, but we got to let the rest of the season play out before we come to those conclusions. Uh, I want to talk about Morgan Frost's shit luck. Um, mm. This guy, you know, last year, Sean Couturier gets hurt. He gets his opportunity right away. He gets hurt, what, four periods in or whatever it was. Now, he's in COVID protocol, gets pulled what, like, eight minutes into the game last night or whatever it was? Uh, which, I mean, that whole situation, how a guy, whatever it is. Yeah, it's a problem. It's, it's fucking stupid, but whatever. It's a real problem. I'm sure there's all sorts of logistical reasons why this shit happens constantly in sports. Uh, you know, we saw it happen in the World Series a couple of years ago. Dude gets pulled in the middle of the game. So it's not just the Flyers. It's most people are just incompetent. But, like, what are we seeing with Morgan Frost? What do we think... You know, there's going to be some guys coming back. The lineup isn't exactly going to be welcoming for someone trying to earn a spot in the near future. How long do you think he's going to be out, etc.? Like, what does the future hold, the near future hold for Morgan Frost, do you think? I think it's extremely clear at this point that he belongs on this hockey team. And he will make a very good 3C. Yeah, I mean, he's an NHL player, and they just yeah. need to let him work through his issues up here, I think. I think the idea of sending him down is, is batshit insane. It's stupid, um, yes. I mean, yeah, I guess it could true. happen if everyone gets healthy, you know, maybe Wade Allison comes up. But, no, I think he needs to work through, you know, figure out what he can and can't do up here. And he's holding his own, you know, four points in ten games. His underlying numbers are not awful. Like, they're not amazing. But in truth, I, I never really saw Morgan Frost as a, you know, super play driver. I see him more as an offensive guy who's going to, you know, have to be sheltered a bit. So I've been satisfied with, with what he's uh, with what he's done so far and, you know, keep letting him roll. You know, keep him with somebody like Giroux when he comes back. But this COVID stuff is is, is concerning. It's concerning not, not just because it sucks for Frost, because it does. It really does. But it's concerning because... This thing is spreading back through the NHL again, and Frost was very clearly around his teammates. And I, I know that Mike Yo. Yeah, I mean um, they warm up and he played. Yeah, in the they game. warm He's up. They're in the, the bench, locker room. Like, yeah, they're yeah. sitting on the bench. Like Mike Yo today, we flat out asked him, "Did Morgan Frost test positive?" He did not answer. 
I am literally in the process of writing an article right now, um, not during this podcast, but I was writing it before this podcast, and I will finish it up after this podcast, that I can confirm that he did test positive. Um, Welp. He tested positive. Breaking. They did a... um, they did a confirmatory test last night on the same sample that was also positive. Then they did another test today, this morning, that was also positive. So Morgan Frost does have COVID-19. He will be out for a bit. Um, mm. So far, he's asymptomatic. So there's a chance that if no symptoms develop, he could come back relatively quickly. If, if even minor symptoms develop, though, he's probably out for at least 14 days. Um, so they'll be, they'll be absent him for a while. That sucks for Morgan. But... The real concern here is what if cases start popping up in the next couple days among other members yeah. of the Flyers? No, I it, joked it would, about— It would really stink. Like, I know we just spent this whole show talking about, like, how good are the Flyers? What's going to happen? Can they go on a winning streak? It would be ex- so Flyers if they actually have figured it out and then the whole thing gets destroyed by another COVID outbreak. And, like, last year, mm. we we saw things be up and down and then— it looked like it wasn't that Super Bowl Sunday game. We're like, yeah, yeah. The Washington game, yeah, yeah, the like, Washington hey, this, game. We they, were like, yeah, pretty well. They, scored they a bunch figured, of goals. they figured this thing out, and then um, just gotten back. We went away two weeks, and the season fell apart when we got back. So, <laughs> I really don't want to live through that shit again. But yep. yeah, Seriously. like I just joked about Washington and Kuznetsov uh, being a close contact or positive. I don't know what his situation is, but. He's he's been in the protocol multiple times over the last two years. Like, could be happening here as well. Um, it sucks because it's like it would suck if it was anybody, but it just seems like Morgan Frost has had so many false starts to his opportunities. He really has. That like, yeah, I- I'm watching the kid. Like, is he blowing me away? No, but to be fair. Anyone not named Drew, I've wanted to fucking like tell him to take a hike, and he, I haven't wanted to tell him that this season. So, like, I, I want to see this kid play. I want to see him continue to develop, and he's on the fucking COVID list. Yeah, we yeah, can't have anything uh, nice. It's not ideal. Um, At least, yeah. silver lining, I suppose. We were all in my post game. It was like, well. You know, is is Morgan Frost, no one really saw anything happen. It wasn't like he got laid out or anything, and we didn't know at this point. Someone put in my comments, uh, Frost is on the COVID list. But honestly, I thought they were being a dick, so I didn't say it on the show. (laughs) I didn't want to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, and that not be true. Uh, Turns out it was, but it was like, you know, is Morgan Frost just fragile? And some guys just are. I'm glad that's not the case. That is a positive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Much if this like is his like... test, it's a positive. Ouch, uh, folks. If we if we don't laugh, we'd cry, folks. <laughs> oh boy. Um. Yeah. I mean, my big concern here is just whether it's gonna, you know, because another how long, how yeah, symptomatic. Well, I mean, not even with Frost. Like, look, it sucks if Frost is playing. I'm just worried that this is gonna go from one to three to ten. Yep. I mean, look at Calgary. Carolina. Carolina is also a concern to me. Like, not not specifically Carolina, but, like, what they're going through because they had their issues in Canada. Mm. So they got guys stuck over the border. Where are the Flyers right now? They're in Canada. So if there were to be a player or two that get, like, like they could just be— they, if they test positive tomorrow morning, they could be stuck in Canada. For quite a while, for longer than maybe they would have to be if they were here. Jesus fuck. So Christ. like, really, really cross your fingers that no more positive tests come up tomorrow. How are we still doing? Like, how is it still? How happening? is this still? We going? live in a house. I mean, I I know the like scientific reasons, but it's like, god damn it, how how is this still going on? Uh, <sighs> do we have anything else? I don't know. Um, I don't. Did I didn't talk do the about, outlines. So. Yeah, see, did we talk about everything? Um, I guess we, you know, we we could talk about the yo thing. We briefly talked. Yeah, a little about more it. yo. Yeah, we briefly talked about yo. it. But you know, Bill, I don't think you've given your opinion on on Mike Yo. Like, what what do you want the Flyers to do from a coaching standpoint? I mean, since we can't have Coach Ham because he went to Vancouver, <laughs> um, I like right away. I wanted you know Tortorella. Not only to yell at you, but to torture no. the players. To torture no. the players. 
the way they torture me. Like, I wanted that. It was no. Well, at first I said Fran Drescher. I started to think of, like, the things that would annoy the shit out of them the way they annoy me. And I thought uh-huh. Fran Drescher or, uh, or John Tortorella were my top uh-huh. two choices. And uh-huh. now I'm kind of in the same camp of we're going to have to make a ton of decisions after this season. Give them some consistency. Give them this guy. Give them a chance to learn something and apply it and see if it works for an extended period of time. And then we will make the decision on... I mean, like, listen, if Claude Giroux calls up Chuck Fletcher uh, and says, yo, I ain't staying, well, then we have to start making moves immediately. But unless that, if that, you know, that phone call probably won't happen, at least for a few months, I think they have to stay the course and see if they can figure this bullshit out. Yeah, I mean, Boudreaux was maybe the only guy who I would be like, you know, if he was out there, like, he can turn things around quick because he's a damn good coach. Yeah, that's his thing. We're we're seeing it in Vancouver. I mean, they just just keep winning. I don't think it's going to continue forever, but, like, he's a really good coach. He teaches really good systems, and, like, he might have been able to do this. The funny thing about Tortorella, you bring him up, and I've thought about Tortorella. So, I... I am not as negative on Tortorella as I think a lot of people are, but I also don't think he's a good fit for the Flyers. And my reason is a little bit off the wall. Oh? My reason why I don't think John Tortorella is the guy the Flyers should go for is actually because I think very highly of him. And here's why. John Tortorella does his best work when coaching teams that don't have a ton of talent, and he gets a lot out of them. That's when he does his best work. The problem with that is that he gets as much out of them as he can, and they all overachieve, almost always. But there's a ceiling as to how good they can be because they just don't have a lot of talent. And my concern about hiring John Tortorella is that it's not that John John Tortorella would fail in Philadelphia. Is that John Tortorella would succeed in Philadelphia? He'd prolong this thing. and would prolong this because he would take a team. He would take the Flyers and he would basically be like, "All right, if the Flyers are are like a mediocre team, he would turn them into a good team." But that's as far as he could take them because that's as far as his group could go. And then we have another three. It would be more fun because the Flyers would make the playoffs every year, but they wouldn't be a cup contender. They would be like what Columbus was. Like, that, I, I absolutely believe that John Tortorella could turn the Flyers into what Columbus was. But, like, Columbus was never winning a championship. Even when they upset Tampa. Like, they were never winning a no. championship. Yeah, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. If you want to hire a coach that will take this team and definitely make them a yearly playoff team, then hire John Tortorella. But I don't know. I, don't, I am skeptical that John Tortorella is a coach that with this team is a good fit because it just prolongs the, it would potentially just prolong the issue that the underlying issue that is still there, which is just that does this team actually have enough talent to be a cup contender? I don't, I don't that's where I, I'm at with torts. I don't understand fans obsessions with hiring a coach. That's going to be mean to the players. It's a very weird thing to me, like that people should probably discuss with a doctor in therapy, but like, because I feel hurt. That's why. Here's the thing. Do you think anybody hates Rod Brindamore in Carolina? You think any of the guys on that team don't like Rod Brindamore? They fucking love Rod Brindamore. Probably the guys who can't keep up with him in the gym. <laughs> Which is, most Which is and everyone. And the Flyers, the Flyers are now playing better because they like their coach. Like, I don't know if having a coach like Elaine Vigneault that just treats his players like shit because he's the coach and they're the players and that's how this works. Like, why is that? Yeah, but I don't think Vio treated. It's his a players, very weird. I don't think Vio treated his players like shit. I just don't think he treated with them that much. Like it, it was. That's, he was just like an overseer type who designed systems and delegated. Well, we we talked about how last year he was kind of a dick to a lot of them. In the he was a and, dick to like hard. Uh, did we yeah. we talked about this? Maybe I talked about it with uh, with Eamon and uh, and Steve right right when the firing of Vino happened. Like I think they're they're two different brands of assholes. Like uh, Vino is just kind of uh, like he calls you out Aloof. in the media. Aloof asshole. Yeah, like that. There isn't a player who played for Tortorella that I've heard that wouldn't say he cares about the players. Yeah, yeah. But he just has that mentality of, like, if I am a dick to them, 
they will unite against me. I like that think, old school. The funny thing is, I don't even think it's that. I actually, the people I've talked to, a lot of players I've talked to that play. A lot like him. Really like him. Yeah. Like Scott Hartnell swears by him. I've never played harder for, for a coach than John Tortorella. Did not every, did not like half of Columbus want to be traded out of Columbus because they didn't want to play for him? I think that's just living in Columbus. <laughs> I mean, fair. That is very, As very much as true. Steph loves Kurt it. Says, like, Kurt says Columbus is nice. Yeah, Steph said it was nice too. I am, I'm sure, uh, but like if I'm Artemi Panarin and my choice is Manhattan <laughs> or Ohio, yeah, I, I ain't fucking staying. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I'm I, just saying that like is mean is like a very weird listen, thing to when, like list on your things that you want your hockey coach to have. When I developed my 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 theory or like why I wanted Tortorella, it's because I was mad at the team and wanted someone to punish them. Hence why okay. I wanted them to be around Fran Drescher for Fair fucking enough. 82 games. Like, I wanted someone to annoy the fuck out of them the way I'm annoyed when I watch them for three hours a night. So, right. I, I agree with Charlie. Like, maybe, though, if they come to the conclusion that this team, we just add a little bit more talent and we'll be okay... Couldn't then we be like, I don't know, the Tampa team he won with? Yeah, I don't know if he's ever going to be able to replicate that. I think that was like a perfect storm because I just go back to, like, he ran his course in New York when when the Rangers actually got high-end talent. And they didn't work in Vancouver because it was like, you're not convincing the Sedins to play torts hockey. Like, that just ain't, that just ain't happening. That's, I did want to see Travis Konechny block eight <laughs> shots a game. Like, that, I, like, yeah, you're punished. Like, you know what Ugh. your punishment is? Twelve bruises. <laughs> I just think Torts is the kind of coach where he takes a, a team that, that, like, doesn't have a ton of high-end talent and is like, okay, we're going to be better, you know, as the sum of a whole, that kind of thing. And the Flyers could do that. Like, that, he could do that with this team. I think he would do a pretty good job. It's just that... You know, I'd, I'd rather shoot for higher, and I don't know if Torch mm-hmm. is the right coach to shoot for higher with. Even though I, but and again, I'm saying this from a like being praiseworthy. John Tortorella, I think John Tortorella is a good coach. I think John Tortorella is a very good coach. I, the stuff I saw him do with the talent he had in Columbus was nuts. I mean, that team should not have been anywhere near as good as it was under him. Are there any other legitimate like? Do you think? What do you think the chances are next year Mike the, Mike Yo is the coach of this team? I would say slim. I don't think it's impossible. Um, but I do think a lot of things need to break his way for it to happen. Um, so the safe bet is no. And do you think the next coach of this team, whether it is a month from now, five months from now, whatever, uh, do you think it's a retread or do you think they go the, the hack stall direction? Absolutely a retread. I think it depends on how this plays out. I mean... Fletcher doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to, like, go find some dude that's never coached in the NHL and take a flyer and see what happens. I mean, it depends on your definition of a retread. Like, I mean... Is a guy Rick, that's is Rick to a retread? I mean, I guess yes. kind of, but like he hasn't He's really in been the established group. anywhere. Well, no, they're not going to go out. Like, look, the Flyers don't have the guts at this point to go out and like sign like that Swedish coach at every once. Yeah, says, the Finnish like, or be, Swedish national so coach. That's what I'm talking hired about. him because he's a genius. No, the Flyers aren't going to do that. I would okay. be blown away if they did that. All right. But like, if the Flyers decide they're going to go, they're going to do the rebuild route. Like, I could absolutely see them hire and talk it because he connects well with players and he's a Flyers guy. And it's like, sure, he uh-huh. can do the rebuild. All right. Doesn't even matter if the team's good anyway, so who cares? I was going to say, I guess if the team's going to be shitty, I don't have to really complain that much about Rick Tocca being the coach. Kelly, tell matter. us about Festivus. Oh, okay, yes, because Steph's not here. I'm going to do the Steph stuff. So we are tentatively planning on having our annual Festivus party at Bully's Pub at Xfinity Live on Festivus the 23rd of December to watch the Penguins game together. Um but we are also keeping a very close eye on what's going on with the COVID stuff. And we will obviously take under advisement whatever the Philadelphia Department of Health says about gathering together at the holidays in public spaces. So right now we are hopeful that we'll be able to have this party on the 23rd at Bully's Pub. But it is, like everything related to this stupid pandemic, up in the air. So 
if you want to come out and hang out with us, you know, plan for it. But there is a, you know, a chance that we might have to cancel it because the world has fallen apart again. It's, but hopefully we'll see you there. We'd very much like to do Festivus. Yes. Uh, but we will see if it is feasible. Uh, December 23rd, Bullies, Xfinity, Kelly just gave you all the information. If it is logistically possible, we're going to go for it. Um, we understand people's you know reservations they might have. We're going to take it all into account. We'd like to do it. We'll see. And that is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, you got to hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. And bang! Content, content, content. So much shit. I don't even feel like naming it all. Trust me, you'll love it. All the Flyers information you need right here. Just search Broad Street Hockey. And subscribe to The Athletic, too. Charlie could use it. Look at him. He can't even grow a beard anymore. (laughs) That's intentional. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right that's it that's all the time my name's bill Matz for charlie for kelly have a great week everybody are you ready to talk about sports yeah!